Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. In this episode of the EDU Podcast, we sit down with Clay Cook from Louisville. Because that's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Louisville. How, how is my pronunciation of Louisville? Not bad. Lul. L. It's Lul. Louisville. L. U. L. Lul. Louisville. 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 And then Lovell. you speed up. You just speed into it. Yeah, Louisville. All right. So most people, the correct pronunciation is Louisville. But yep. they don't. The locals don't like that. Nah. No, not at all. So I'm trying to adapt, and I'm not, I'm not doing it very well. You're right. As usual. It's sticking out like a sore thumb. You're all good. Clay Cook, tell me a little bit, for the, the viewers that might not have seen you, most of them probably have because you're all over the place, run me through kind of what you do, the type of photography. What do you, who are you as a person? I shoot pics, man. You shoot pics. Yeah. That's what I do. Now, I'm an uh, editorial uh, fashion and portrait editorial photography, basically. Um, so I shoot for magazines, pretty much. That's my sole source of income for the most part. Um, I do dabble in video production and uh, I do um, um, do some collaborations and some contract work for some documentary teams that travel all over the world, nonprofit foundations, and build uh, content for those foundations and um, so I do that as well as uh, mostly shoot for magazines. And then I also do some campaigns, uh, some small sort of advertising campaigns as well. So I do it in a small market. You know, we're, we're here in Louisville, which is a pretty small market. So so you, you do say it's a small market, but you of all people are very visible online. You're definitely a content creator. And a yeah. lot of people, doesn't matter where you are, know who you are. So how have you built such an online presence well social media is a very powerful tool you know i think that years ago um you know i was started in the music industry that's kind of where i got you know gained all this like grassroots knowledge of how to promote yourself and how to promote a brand and so i learned the more organic way with the music industry which was getting out there pushing your brand pushing your in my case, a band to uh, with flyers and hard, tangible promotional tools. And now it's a lot easier because everything is in a digital form. But if you just apply that kind of those grassroots method to making sure that whatever you push is strong content, then um, then you're going to have some engagement based on that. So, so let's back up. You were in a band. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the Clay Cook that <laughs> played music. Is, any, is he anything like the Clay Cook that shoots photographs? Oh, there's there's a little bit of that still left. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, it was a it was a crazy, awesome, horrible time. That's the that's the best way to put it. I had some of the best times of my life. I had the worst times of my life. It was it was one of those things where uh, I grew up on the road. I grew up uh, living that kind of crazy lifestyle but not having any sort of income whatsoever for almost 10 years of my life. So I started at the age of 16 and I played music till 26. 
and the age of 26, I uh, picked up a camera. So, um, but I, you know, did things to supplement my income, such as graphic design. I did some odds and ends, like marketing jobs, things like that, just to make ends meet and pay the bills. But I lived uh, a lot of that on the road. So we were uh, touring around. We played some really great shows and with some really great brand bands over the years. And and then we uh, then I migrated into the photography world. But you know, just taking all those things that I learned in the music business and applied it to photography and it came actually pretty easy for me. I compare the music business to like running on a treadmill. You just kinda kinda keep going and going and going, just never really truly get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we hit it at a bad time too. We hit we hit uh the music business right at the time when digital download that whole era started. Napster. So Napster came out, you know, iTunes was was just starting and things were changing in the industry and so we would go in for meetings with <laughs> do, you, do you actually remember the program napster i remember that was yeah. something big in, in college for me and it was like oh my god it's so it's so interesting like we could get any music uh we could get any music through a program like one by one and it, now like fast forward to today that's ridiculous mm. yeah it's really crazy it's it's um you know, like I'm trying to think of the where it first started for us. We sort of predicted, like when we were in that industry, that music would one day be free, like completely free. And we were kind of like, we had that feeling like digital downloading was just going to take everything over. And we were just like, you know, so that's why we always claim that rather than us being in the music industry, we are in the ticket and t-shirt industry. So we we're in the game for selling merchandise and selling tickets to concerts rather than our music itself. Yep, yep. So that's where we really made our money over anything else. What do you think? Do you think that the, that same thing is happening with the photography industry in terms of the commodity of a photograph? Is that cost going down and is it ever going to even out? Well, I think that in the photo industry, it's a really exciting time, actually. I think it's a really exciting time for photography in general because everyone's shooting photography. Everyone is shooting, you know, the photos on Instagram and taking selfies. They're doing all this stuff, and that was never the case before. So photography is a really hot market now. The problem is, is that there's so many people shooting photography. Yeah. You know, so it's like you have to really stand out from the noise. And the biggest problem is that we as content creators, our responsibilities now create content that is unique and that stands out from all that noise and so you have to be really really good at what you want to do if you want to make money at it but to add to that i know a lot of really good photographers let's say just on instagram that have no following so do you gauge someone's success based on the amount of followers they have on something like instagram i think a lot of people probably do unfortunately yep. um i don't you know but i, I think that that does come down to perception. I think I'm, I, I work with uh, a lot of clients nowadays that will like the social media and my blogging community and the community I've built is a reason, one reason, one of the many reasons why they've hired me in the first place is because they know that it's going to be backed up with some great content and some pro free promotion for, well, not free, but some promotion for them, you know? So I think that that does play a role and I see it in modeling agencies actually now where when I choose a model from an agency, next to their stats of their measurements is their Instagram numbers. Yep. And I find that so interesting now because now people are hiring models because of their Instagram numbers. We they, do. Yeah. When, we look for, uh, when we look for models for our shoots, uh, 
Yeah. That isn't the leading factor, but that is definitely a factor. a factor that, let's say we're in between two models. Yeah. And uh, one of them has 3,000 followers, the other one is 60,000. That yeah. makes it an easy decision for us because obviously we're in the game of visibility. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for us, yeah, we're guilty. I'm guilty of that. No, it's. I don't. I think. I don't think it's a bad thing by any by any means. But I think it's a. It's an interesting. Uh, it's it, it's an interesting fact in how times are changing and how yep. social media has played such a major role in. Um, it's in a the big way, metric. Big metric. Yeah, in the way of marketing and everything now, and so, you know, you take it back to when I was promoting my band, we would go to like all these shows and pass out flyers and do all this stuff. What was the name of your band? Band was called In the Clear. In the Clear. In One the, word. Don't space it out. One the, word. Was it in D A Clear? In the Clear. In the Clear. In the Clear. It was I N T H E C L E A R. In the Clear. So spelled how it sounds. No spaces. No. And what kind of music was it? It was like a hard rock. So I guess the best way to compare my band would be a lot of people compared us like the Steel Deftones. Panther. You know. <laughs> That was a life goal, just <laughs> to be in Steel Panther. I, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. I can picture you now in those jeans. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Skinny jeans, man. That's where it all started. <laughs> um, no, it was like hard rock. It was like Deftones, but we had like a lot of ambient sounds. People compared us to like that or something like a Breaking Benjamin or, you know, it was just like hard rock. But um, we loved it. We we hit it a little late in the game. So like our... our um, single that we potentially had really hit as that whole style was kind of fading out and emo and uh bands like thursday and fallout boy and like that kind of whole trend came into the picture so we hit it kind of like later in that trend unfortunately and so that was a big reason why we didn't really hit right on the marker and started becoming a mass success or didn't have the hit so like yeah we had a lot of meetings with record labels over the years we did four or five showcases for private for Warner Brothers, Universal, Republic, um, quite a few labels, but we didn't ever have the hit, you know. So it was a it was a hard time and then you would have meetings and showcases with those with those labels and then suddenly they'd be fired or they would be working for a different label. So it was hard to make progress in relationships with people. Yeah, yeah. Because they would constantly change jobs or change dudes. Sounds something like else. you guys didn't do enough drugs or have enough terrible girlfriends to yeah. really hit rock, no, there was a rock lot of bottom. That. There was a lot of those terrible <laughs> girlfriends. <laughs> One in particular. Not hard. So not to get sidetracked back to music, let's get back to uh, what I think is interesting is your community. Yeah. You've really built a huge, really cool group, which actually I think groups are kind of the savior of Facebook. I yeah. really cherish our group. And I see a lot of cool stuff out of your community, yeah. the, the Clay Cook community, right? Yeah. Can anyone join? Yes. So just as search, long as you're a photographer and just you're search to Clay share. Cook yeah. community, and there's a really cool kind of uh, clean feed of it's not politics, it's not ads, it's photographers seeking advice, posting their work, um, and also giving advice. I think you know my goal with it is like I started it as just a private group for people that attended my workshop. And then I sort of like collaborated with them. I was like, hey, what do you, what do you feel about me opening this up and bringing in other photographers from all over the world in this? Because I've had a lot of people reach out to me like, hey, you should have a group and all this stuff. And like, ah, oh, I really don't really care about like that. Like I want something that's going to be something that actually provides value, yeah, you know, yeah. to the community. Like that is transparent and people are asking questions, like an online help forum kind of. And so that's when I 
everyone's like, you should do it. So I opened it up, but I had like a strict set of guidelines that you have to follow where like you have to provide either behind the scenes or provide all technical information with it, with every shot, no matter what it is. And then it's got to be like one photo per upload, no galleries, and there's no ads, no none of that stuff, none of that nonsense. And so it's really just a community that's just trying to help each other. It's just a very transparent sort of um, group that I love. I mean, it's it's great photographers in there. Have you gotten to know or meet anyone from that group? Yeah, a lot of them, actually. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, a lot of those photographers that are in that group that are super talented um, follow up. They, some of them have come to my London workshop, and then some of them, it was great to meet um, this photographer that's in that group that's posted in there a bunch. He was from the uh, from Denmark, uh, Copenhagen, um, and he came to my London workshop, and it was great to finally meet him after seeing his work in the community for months, and it was really cool. So, yeah, it's really really awesome, awesome group. So let's talk a little bit about your past year. You've had an interesting past year that resulted in you at the top of a mountain. (laughs) Where were you when you decided to embark on that journey, and what was it like getting there? Should we take a shot first? Yeah, let's take a shot of Fireball. So uh, pause for station identification. This episode of uh, the EDU podcast is brought to you by Fireball Whiskey. (laughs) So here we go. Cheers. Oh, it's delicious. Oh, my God. Oh, As wow. soon as it hits your lips. Oh, it's like chewing gum. All right, so where are you when you decide that, hell, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try and uh, paraglide off of a, is it the world's tallest mountain? It is the world's tallest freestanding mountain, so it's not in a mountain range. But it's like, uh, I don't know where it is on the list. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of mountains that are taller in it, um, but it's the most unique mountain, I'd say. Um, uh, you know, it comes up to like, so Kilimanjaro, Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the highest mountain in Africa, um, and Tanzania, it comes up to like 19,341 feet, which is about camp three of Mount Everest, somewhere around there. And, um, so it's about that threshold of where you need supplementary O2 after you reach the summit. So it's like, you're basically walking up at that point, it's really hard to breathe. And so you need O2 past that or PBR. PBR. (laughs) 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 Nah, might work. (laughs) Okay, so Um, I have a story about some. Never mind. mind. Um, So, um, so yeah, this past year has been crazy. Um, First went to Tanzania for the first time in 2015, and we met this guy named Adrian McRae in a bar, naturally. I'm drinking some Kilimanjaro beer over there and hanging out and talking to this guy. And he's like, yeah, he's an Australian. He owns this mining company, but his passion is paragliding. And he's like, I run this foundation called Wings of Kilimanjaro. And we were there for a similar foundation called for Waterboys. Waterboys raises uh, money to build uh, water wells in Tanzania. And so we uh, over there met this guy in the bar, just casually started talking. And he's like, yeah, mate, you know. Um, he does this paragliding foundation. What was he like? <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. <laughs> I can't do a good old story. That was stellar. <laughs> yeah, might. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I encourage you to keep doing that. Uh, a paraglide. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Pa- paraglide. 
Uh, now I just want to talk in an Australian accent. Yeah, yeah. I hey, I'm 100 percent for it. Uh, or maybe just tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> So, right, so you're uh, in the you're in the bar. You met bar this guy. talked yeah, to yeah. him, and he had done this before, where done this thing where he had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and then paraglided off uh, Stella Point, which is under the summit. And uh, Stella Point was the highest of any you know it's crazy height for someone to paraglide. I mean, you're all these elements are uh, coming at you, and it's very very uh, very dangerous thing yeah, to yeah. do and um there's only been a few guys that have done this um, at that height before and he was one of them and so he did this and he brought up all these pilots to do it with him and the goal was to raise a significant amount of money uh for clean water and education in tanzania and the foundation is called wings of kilimanjaro and so he approached us and he's like hey you know i've never had a really good video or I've never had really good content built around this foundation. It's like this incredible thing. He's had 60 minutes interview him, like go up with him. He's had all these interviews all over the world, but he's never had a full blown documentary that he could use himself. And so that's when we kind of started talking with him about doing this and it went on and off for a number of years. Well, at that same time, I knew that there was no way in my physical health condition that I could climb this mountain. So I really started training and working out and uh, get myself in shape at the same time um, and going on this insane diet. It wasn't insane, but it was just like a, a really strenuous uh, diet lifestyle change, just a complete lifestyle change in order to uh, achieve this goal of climbing this freaking mountain. So that's basically what happened. And so I uh, lost 125 pounds, actually. It's incredible. And, um, and climbed up this mountain, Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, to back up, we actually got the job. Yeah, yeah. Um, we landed the job with Adrian, got the job, and then um, and we were all going to paraglide off this thing. And we were going to be tandem, so we would be hooked and strapped into a pilot, and then we would paraglide off this mountain. So let's back up a second. <clears throat> Basically, no one's ever done this off the summit, and the only people that have done it you mentioned were pilots that did it from a very dangerous area that's lower. Correct. Yeah, you are saying, yeah, let's paraglide off an even higher point. And no one's ever done it off <laughs> well, a, a, a point this high? No. And so that was an audible that was actually called. So we were actually initially going to jump off. I say jump. Sail off. Because pilots hate when you say jump. Sail off Stella Point, which is the same point as what they've always done. That's, that was the launch zone. The yep. scheduled launch zone, zone. So... What happened was we climbed up this mountain. It took us eight days to ascend um, because you have to acclimatize. Um, eight days to ascend, and we're acclimatizing, meaning that we're going up, and then so we're climbing high, sleeping low. So we're kind of going up and up and down a little bit. Um, and then we so actually for go, eight days. You're just making no progress, just up and down. <laughs> you make progress. You make progress. <laughs> uh, so you go up a little progress. bit higher, then come down, then a little bit higher. Then That's come right. Down. Yeah, you sleep sleep low. Um, and that's what you do on Everest actually is you, you'll climb, let's say you'll go through the Kumbu Icefall, you'll go up to camp one and then you'll come back down and sleep for two days. And then you'll go back up to the icefall, come down and go back up to the icefall. And then you go to camp two and then you go to camp three and then you make your summit bid from camp four to, and so that's how it works. It's like, you got to go back up and down a lot because your body has to build red blood cells and O2 in your body to, 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 to live, you know? So otherwise most people that cl- try to climb high altitude, like extreme high altitude, in a uh, you know 
short amount of time, they'll die. Like it just, they'll, they'll get incredibly sick and they will come down with uh, what's called preliminary edema um, or uh, it's like yep. lung disease where their lungs will fill with blood and water. And not good. Not good. Worst case scenario that happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So Kilimanjaro is a really cool mountain because it has four ecosystems too. Um, you go from like 60, 70 degree weather to sometimes uh, 20 below. So four different groups of animals and insects. No, 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 just one because animals don't live past the first ecosystem. Nothing is up there. No, nothing is up there. No. Okay. Well, that's actually good. You know, I don't like shit crawling on me when I'm sleeping. (laughs) So bonus. I thought there's, I don't know. All right. No, I'm sorry. There's a story behind that. Um, They found an elephant bones. They found elephant bones in like the four like the third ecosystem which they have no idea why an elephant would ever go up there or why the elephant would ever make his way but they believe this elephant just went up there to die like he was like this is super high altitude they still don't know how this animal got up there i think animals can have goals like that yeah you know some (laughs) animals can i believe in it some of them are weird and like they they, they're like you know what fuck this (laughs) going up there right (laughs) Go up I there see all these humans go up there. I'm going to go up there. Yeah. Anyway, um, so it goes from the rainforest to what's called Heather Moorland, which is kind of like um, just kind of deserty a little bit. Like, it's interesting. I don't know. It's hard to put a visual standpoint on what Moorland is. And there's nothing living there. Nothing. No. Just there's some birds, some, you know. All right. So there's birds. Yeah, there's birds. So and then circling you, you jerks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're ready. Yeah, they're ready. And then it goes to uh, Alpine Desert. So it's literally like Mars. It's like just a desert wasteland. Nice. And then it goes to Alpine Glacial Rock. So it's like glaciers and ice and stuff at past a certain, I would say, like 17,000 feet. So no, 18,000 So you're feet. walking on ice. You have ice picks. Um, no. So the time that we were going, because we were paragliding was the only time in the entire year in which you can do this, which is the clearest, warmest time of the year. Soon found out that that was not the case, warmth-wise, but clarity-wise. There was no storms, no snow, but it's usually storming or snowing at the summit. So um, in that case, it would be full of ice, but uh, on our ascent, there was no ice. So no, we didn't need any crampons or ice picks or anything. Nice. All right. So you're you're in the non-ice land that's supposed to be ice land. Yeah. You're almost at the top at this yeah. point. And how many people are in this group? So we have 26 pilots and we have uh, around 150 porters. Wow. That's a lot of people. So basically every person gets about, I think it's like six or seven porters. Did you learn everyone's first name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I knew we'll I knew that. the 26 guys. That's okay. I knew the 26 pilots like our team. The rest were like porters, guides, assistants, all that kind of madness. They don't call them sherpas there? No. So they're not sherpas. They're porters. They're porters because porters. sherpas that's uh a, that's a that's a Himalayan thing. Himalayan thing. Okay. Yeah, that's the sherpas are are porters. Is, is, all right. yeah, porters. Okay. And so these are African men that are from the between the ages of I would say 16 to 22, 20. Eh, some are older. Some are like probably 30, 40s. Okay. I trust those guys. Not yeah. the 16 to 22-year-olds. No, well, the their role is to carry your yeah. shit up. You yeah. know. Or carry you down. 
Correct. Yeah, I don't yeah. trust those sixteen. I want the forty-year-olds carrying yeah, me down. The guys, making the good guys, decisions. Uh, yeah, they. I we did see that. So when we got up to like camp four, uh, well, it was Kosovo camp. I don't know. That was not camp four. It was like. Camp. Oh, why did they name it Kosovo camp? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous. It was like camp eight. <laughs> yeah, camp seven. I don't know. You never Whatever know what's going to go down there. You know, you know Kosovo camp was like sixteen five somewhere. Sixteen. Yeah, is, eight. is it a camp? Is it the camp? You know, yeah. like you never know. Yeah. Anyway, camp. Okay, sorry. At, at, when we reached that camp, we saw porters carrying people down on their backs, like running down because these wow. people were almost dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, or so did you ever think of like, all right, you know, I don't really want that. I'm going to turn around. Uh, by that time, it's like we walked up here. We're going to walk to the top. The thing with like, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, wow, I don't know what's up there. Like, what are we about ready to do? There because might be like an, there might be a fucking elephant up there, a pissed <laughs> off apparently. elephant. <laughs> By the time we got there, we were so like ready. We actually at Kosovo camp, we had to wait a day, so there was a whole day of literally doing nothing, um, because we had to acclimatize at that altitude. Do you have a camera at this point? Yeah. And so you're taking photos, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean that's my job yeah. on this whole entire thing. <laughs> okay, so you're you're taking photos every single as often as possible. Yeah, my job was to build content in the photo form while we were filming this documentary on these and pilots. How, how cold is it? So at, at, it went from like 60 degrees at base camp to, um, our summit bid with winds was, they believe to be around 20, 30 below zero. Do cameras work at that temperature? I would assume <laughs> no. Yes. They do. They do. 30 below. Yes, they work. Do you have the 5D Mark three? I do. Yeah. So that shit's working at negative thirty. And we were shooting no with problems? the Sony FS7. How many how many batteries did you bring? Mmm, we're getting into this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm curious. Okay, so because that's um, a lot of weight. Yeah, we brought up um, dense. Fires. So every one of our crew members, which was there was one, four of us, maxed out about I think it's like uh, fifty pounds of gear. And then we had 25 pounds of personal gear. And so um, we brought a significant amount of batteries because at that cold, your battery life is already at 50%. So that's what we had to consider is like your battery life is at 50%. Fortunately, with our Sony FS7 and our, my Canon 5D Mark III's and um, all of our main cameras, the batteries were fine. Like, we had no problems. What we did have problems with were, like, the additional cameras, like GoPros or um, just any other miscellaneous camera, like our drone batteries are... Yep. Um, uh, you guys br- carried a drone, or someone carried a drone up that mountain. Yes. Then we it, brought a uh, DJI-inspired drone with a XD5 oh, wow. raw camera up there. Wow. And How did uh, that perform? So, I think that we might be the highest... Uh, altitude drone pilots. Let's take a shot. Let's take a shot of fireball for that. Uh, yeah. Look at that. All right. You, Cheers. You got a story out there to combat that? Um, Send it to Clay, info at claycookphotography.com. You think you've flown an Inspire higher than Clay Cook? Yeah. Let's hear it. Now, I know that drones have been higher, than, like drones in general have been higher than that, but a DJI Inspire, I don't think has been higher than what we have flown it, which is... We flew it at, um, we flew it about 17,000. And so we've, we've heard that someone brought a Phantom up to base camp Everest. 
and flew it and it got up to a certain point. And so base camp Everest is about six, I think it's about 17, 17,000. Yeah. And so uh, we heard of pilots taking it up to base camp Everest, but never passed that. So we flew it pretty high um, and it flew not so well yeah. um, at first, <laughs> <laughs> but because we had so much weight on it. Um, so we ended up going from, we had the XD5, so it was like the raw camera with the lens and we had to shed that to go back to the original camera and the we stock just camera, the stock camera. Yeah, yeah. And so once we lightened the entire load that this drone is, was lifting, uh, the, it was flew beautifully actually. Of course you had to like compensate for the altitude and the thin air a little bit. And so we did, but, um, it's gotta be hard to get all the way up there and have such a beautiful micro four thirds raw camera and be yeah. like, Oh crap, we gotta go back to compressed. Yeah. So uh, we actually only use that on our DJI Osmo and I mean that stuff just looks awesome. I mean like we used that camera on the I fucking love the Osmo. Oh. It's such a cool little device. Like there's no way, I mean cuz we were going to bring like, you know, the the Ronin rigs and like all this stuff That's and such like, a pain in the ass. Oh, and then yeah. when you're climbing a mountain, like there's just yeah, it's stabilizing just, that at no 16, way. Yeah. No way. So what we had set up was we had our main camera, camera A, and then we had an Osmo, and then we had a bunch of little miscellaneous cameras, and then sometimes we'd flip on my Mark III and do some video with that. Um, but we wanted to make sure that most of it was all in 4K, so we really stuck to our camera A and then uh, the Osmo for most of the documentary, and it was beautiful. It's beautiful footage. So, so all right, you get to the you get to the top. Tell, take me to the top and what okay. There? So, um, so. Summit bid, we leave at 11 o'clock p.m. Um, we go at 11 o'clock p.m. So it's like, just like Saturday night. You know, yeah. Getting that, go out late. Yeah. You know? We climb all through the night. So we were climbing for six and a half hours um, from Kosovo camp to the summit. And this is when it's at night. So the wind chill is super exhausting, super bad. 20 below. Um, I was wearing three pairs of gloves. So I was wearing my liners on exterior sensory gloves. And then I was wearing my down gloves. You're like Lloyd from dumb and dumber. So three, you've had three <laughs> pairs of gloves this whole time, <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> All right. Just go, man. So you have and three pairs of gloves on. Three pairs of gloves. I have, um, this is just an example. Like, so you have to wear layers on Kilimanjaro because if you, you can't bring just like down, big down jackets because you don't need it I mean, it's too much weight so you just have to layer up so i was wearing um three pairs of long sleeve shirts i was wearing a fleece over uh like a fleece jacket then i was wearing uh, a down jacket um then i was wearing a gore-tex cover and then on my lower half i was wearing three pairs of long underwear um fleece pants then gore-tex pants and then in my socks i was wearing uh, liners wrapped in hand warmers. And then, uh, so I gaff taped hand warmers around my feet, put on another layer of socks. You brought a roll layer. of gaff tape up to yes. the summit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. That shit's heavy. Yeah. You have gaff to. Tape. Never leave home without it. And then, uh, so my feet were awesome. And uh, I was really, my feet were great. I mean, I was feeling perfectly fine, perfectly warm. The biggest problem we faced was our camelbacks, like water. So water is a, obviously a, yep. very helpful. And um, our camelbacks froze. Would, they were freezing. So 
we ended up gaff taping hand warmers and foot warmers to our camelbacks and then lining the tubes with hand warmers with gaff tape so the tubes wouldn't freeze but they still froze yeah so we had to like blow ice out and then really work to get water but um a few of the guys lost feeling in their feet and so what they would do is they have to take their feet their their shoes off and then place it on the stomachs of some of the porters just to warm up their feet Whoa. just to get feeling back in their feet because otherwise they couldn't feel their feet i couldn't actually feel my hands at all but like i managed to like press the shutter button a little bit um but like it was it was very very cold i've never felt cold like that in my life because the wind um wasn't too bad it was just very cold and then um of course when you're summiting uh, you're losing O2 to your brain because you're such at high altitude. So you're in a state of hypoxia. So at that point, it feels the best way to describe this is that it feels like you're extremely wasted drunk, but you're hyper aware. So basically it's like mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're stumbling, yeah, but you yeah. realize you're stumbling and you are like, Oh, I'm stumbling. Uh, and then you have to like refocus yourself and like, okay, uh, what am I doing? And then you start hallucinating. So yeah, very yeah, similar. Just like mushrooms. All right. So, yeah. And because it's you're wearing a headlamp. PM. <laughs> <laughs> so you're wearing a headlamp and the only thing yep. that you can see is the people's feet in front of you. And then, so this is the best to describe. So one of our crew guys, um, the only thing that he could focus on was the fact that with his, um, he was, his trekking poles, right? He felt like he had turned into some sort of centipede because the lines, or centipede or like mantis, because the lines in his trekking poles were causing these massive lines and shadows because his headlamp was, oh. and so like he was just like envisioning this like, wow, yeah, crazy story. And he was like, I believed like I was a mantis or something like this whole time. And like, he was clearly hallucinating yeah, and just in a whole nother state of crazy. And, uh, and so that's what happens when you start losing O2. So the, so in videos, uh, <laughs> yes. Jeez. Yeah. So in videos, um, I've, I've showed you the videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disregard that noise. Yeah. So videos, you can see me stumbling next to like a 2000 foot drop. Oh my God. And this is, it's pretty terrifying because you're just a zombie, man. I mean, you, you get up to this high altitude point where you, it's really hard to focus, really hard to like think clearly. And so this is uh, it's a, it's a story that happened basically um, when I eventually descended or when I eventually got down, um, I had changed memory cards at some point. So I went to a completely empty card to a completely full card and have no recollection of ever doing that. Oh, wow. And so I thought that I lost every single image I shot on that whole summit bid. And so I bought $300 worth of recovery software and tried to recover all these cards and could never find these images. turns out they were on a, another card completely, and wow. I have no recollection of ever doing this, ever. And I would never do that. Why would you change from a blank card to a full memory card? No idea. Still to this day, I have no idea why I did that. No idea. No clue. And it's someone, like, and that's someone, how... I'd blame it on someone you're with. Be like, who did this to yeah. me? Who did this to me? And, and that's how people die, man. I mean, yeah. like, so you hear stories on Everest and you hear stories on high altitude. 
they die because they just literally do the most common sense stupid mistakes such as just walking off the face of the mountain a lot of people on Everest die because they walk off the face because they're in a completely high pot or they just take off their jacket they uh, or they take their down jacket off and because they think they're warm but they're not and they freeze to death so they do just moronic things because their brain's in a state of hypoxia but anyway so that's kind of where we were at um, making this summit bed so we get up to the summit and uh, finally and it's like sun's coming up things are warming up I'm starting to think a little bit more clearly a little bit not too much um, and if you hear me in videos it sounds like I'm hammered you know like, oh, you get the flash out you know like <laughs> <laughs> that big white thing but there's no evidence that you're not hammered <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, so you're, you're close to the summit. Close to the summit. Uh, we get up there. Sweet relief. Awesome that we're at the summit. Um, we got up there about five minutes before the rest of the crew because um, we had to shoot them ascending. So that was one thing about my job is I had to work kind of twice as hard as everyone else. So I, I had to go forward and backward. So I had to go in front of the crew, shoot, behind the crew, shoot, in front of the crew, shoot or all these pilots and shoot. And so I was like really trying to document and get a variety of compositions as we ascended. And so we were in front of the whole entire crew, uh, all of our porters and all of our um, pilots. We got to the summit and uh, took a quick photo with everyone, celebrated for about one minute. And then these pilots were like, we're going off on the summit. <laughs> and we have one. Hey, wait, and up until this point, no one thought they were going off on the summit? Correct. Everyone thought that we would have to descend. We would summit and then descend. And you're letting these people make these rash decisions at that altitude with knowing that motherfuckers are hallucinating. Well, yes. Wow, and everyone just went with it. So who, who's so the brainchild behind this? So basically we, have, we had one of the top safety guys in the world for paragliding to, to be on our staff and um, this guy has got the numbers. Like he's done. Um, his name was Gabe, and Gabe has basically the number one amount of voluntary reserve shoot deployments or something. So basically, like he has put himself at risk and tried to kill himself, basically, and then throwing his reserve more than anyone. He has fallen. Like he has fallen from height, broke every bone in his body before, and this is our <laughs> safety officer. And this is the guy you're trusting. Yeah. Well, he's got the experience. <laughs> I question That's what your judgment. Clayton. That's what I'm trying to say is he's got the experience. He's, he's a really strict, very uh, on-point kind of guy. Um, and um, so basically we got up to the summit, and Gabe was like, our weather window is now. We need to go now. Because at that point, by everyone was really, really beat. And no, I don't think anyone felt like descending another additional back down. So he's like, let's go off the summit. Um, it's clear. We're getting some cycles. So at that point, everyone was like, let's do it. So everyone started unloading their chutes or their uh, gliders. Yeah, because no one wants to fucking walk back down. Yeah, you're, you're telling me I can sail off this son of a bitch? Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. So these, <laughs> so we had guys from all over the world, um, 26 pilots, break out all their chutes with their porters. And so we got out and... Um, then the fun started. So one by one, um, the single pilots, like the solo pilots, started getting off the mountain. And that included 
what you basically had to do was you had to run down the face of the summit. It's about a, a pretty strong angle. Run down the face of the summit, full speed sprinting in order to inflate the glider. And then you kind of hoped for a cycle of wind to pick up the glider at that point and launch you off this drop off that was like rated at, I believe it was like 3000 feet drop off. And so um, you kind of ran towards this drop off and just hoped that you would get a cycle beforehand. If you didn't, then you'd have to deflate the glider um, or the glider would deflate itself and you would crash. So you'd fall face first into this rock. And so um, a lot of the solo pilots got off at first. They launched off and lifted off. And then a lot of the tandems started going. And then the tandems had no such luck. The tandems um, went one by one. And most of them weren't getting off because the cycles weren't picking up and the cycles weren't large enough to pick up two, two people. people. Yeah. Too much weight. So um, so I attempted a total of four times um, running down the summit. And then we would be met with some porters with some supplemental oxygen, just like sucking back some, some O2s just to like regain who we were because we had we were freaking Is it pretty blasted. instant when you bring it out to you no like, not really i didn't really feel much to be honest i still had a crashing headache and was like really bad off but um um no like it really didn't do much to me um at all i didn't really notice a, a dramatic effect to be honest um but they you know blast you with some o2s just to get get your breath and then you would walk back up to the face of the summit and then uh, to the summit top and then you would run back down and do the same thing I attempted four times, and by the end of it, by my fourth attempt, our weather window closed. So a storm came in, and we had to shut it down. And so six of those pilots, um, so 20 made it off, and six did not. And I was among one of those six, uh, with one of those six pilots. And um, the six decided to stay again on the summit, stay the night on the summit, and try it again in the morning. I, I made a, a decision, an executive decision at that moment to descend because my body was beat. I felt like I just could not breathe. I felt in really bad shape. I, I felt really bad. And so I made the executive decision to descend. And I made the right decision because those guys woke up the next morning to a hellacious storm and there was no way that they were getting us. So they, they had to descend. So they stayed on the night of the summit. They stayed in that 30 below degree weather one night for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, sucks. And so I descended, and I felt like that was probably the hardest part of my entire trek was the descent because I was just, I was blasted, man. I was just, I was wiped. I hadn't slept in 24 hours. So uh, how long does it take to get down full That's speed? a good question. So um, we believe, uh, like uh, we checked the numbers, and we think that the descent is roughly around 22 miles, and the um, most people do it in – um, eight to 12 hours because it is a straight shot down. So it's actually down. You go down a supporters, down a Porter supply route. And so this route is how porters supply, um, your, your ascent. And so they go, it's a straight shot. Um, so it's the hardest way up, fastest way down. Correct. And, um, and I did it in about five and a half, six hours. Wow. And it was basically that that mean that I meant that I was running. I mean, we were running down this mountain because my guide who was with me thought that I was like really sick. I mean, I was I was pretty bad off, but 
I felt terrible, but uh, he was like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. He's pushing me, you know, and so this is the hardest thing I've ever done by far in my entire life. By far the most hardest, hardest thing I've ever done was that descent. Would you ever do it again? Um, you know, that's a good question because I had that opportunity come to me recently um, about climbing Kilimanjaro again. And I told them that if I was to do it again, it would definitely not be necessarily voluntarily. It would be definitely be some some major investment involved. Yeah. So pay me. Yeah. Taking yeah. those photos. Yeah. So all right, let's fast forward to getting paid for photos now. Yeah. How is that happening? How are you how are you getting clients? What what's your workflow? What's your secret sauce? <laughs> um, you know, for me it's it's I'm fortunate to be in a very creative community. So Louisville is uh a very vibrant community we have a lot of great publications here a lot of great companies we're um, in the heart of uh, the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Derby offers a lot of opportunities for fashion for commercial and advertising and various brands and there's a lot that goes on to that one two-minute horse race it's a giant spectacle it brings in I think almost 300,000 people to the city so it's a huge thing and so I stay really busy with that and then it's also a hub, so we're right in the middle of kind of a the Midwest hub. Chicago is short, you know, five hours away. There's St. Louis, four hours away, where you guys are from. There's uh, Indianapolis, two hours away. Cincinnati's two hours away. Nashville's three hours away. So it's right in the center of a lot of that. So UPS is stationed here. We've got Amazon. We've got Zappos is here. We've got a lot of major companies that are based in Louisville. And so I stay busy with not only the editorial work that Kentucky Derby and Churchill Downs and a lot of these fashion magazines provide but also in the sort of the commercial world and the beauty world as well so i'm uh, fortunate to to make a living off photography in a small market that i'm in so those people are here but how are they finding you what have you done to get them it's all based on reputation so when i first started photography um the community wasn't nearly as vibrant as it is now um, and it's something that i've worked really hard to kind of build and build partnerships and build relationships and just bust my ass man and that's kind of what I did over the years uh, I started in 2000 and um, 2011 and I really built my entire brand based on creativity um, at the time I really didn't care about money it was something that like I already been in a band for a number of 10 years and so money was never really a thing for me um, and so I just adapted to photography and didn't really care about money I cared about creating cool stuff and creating art and um, that's what I did for the first year and a half, two years of photography. And then suddenly brands were like, we want this. We want this for our brand, our, the, our advertiser. We want this for our magazine or we want this for our look and mood. And so um, that's kind of uh, where it evolved from there. And then I suddenly noticed a, a big change in Louisville where photography and beauty and that kind of stuff really started being an awesome thing and um, evolving to something that's like substantially viable and people were making money at it. So it's uh, it's been a, a, a an ongoing progression I've seen here. So we've been here and we've met a little bit of your team. It sounds yeah. like you have a, a massive intern team. Who are the other people in your life that you really rely on? Yeah, so there's a few people in the creative community that really I love and rely on. Um, so I have a great staff of interns, great staff of assistants that help me out, um, who relay, relocate from all over the U.S. to come into 
Louisville and to help me out. How did that happen? How did you get convinced people all over the world? I think that's that's just like uh, based on social media and based on my marketing aspects and the reputation I've built in the creative community outside of Louisville. Um, so I have Lewis who relocated from Washington, D.C. I have Hunter Ziski who relocated from Sunnyside, Washington. I have Sydney Darwin, who's a student in University of Kentucky. I have uh, Ashley, um, Ashley, who is a student from Indiana Westland University from Indiana. And then I'm bringing on um, this girl named Chelsea, who's from Chicago. And then I also have Gabrielle Colton, who is from Atlanta. So most of my interns are actually outside of Louisville, and they come into Louisville, and it really... It's pretty awesome um, that I'm are able these, to... Are all these people just staying at your house? Just, just They, they actually there? have, yes. <laughs> uh, they, some, some uh, re, when they relocate, they transition by staying in the studio for a little bit, and then they uh, find their place and find their way and uh, transition um, and build their own brands. And so that's kind of what I want with my internship is like, I want you to come in, get some experience under my belt, help me out, and... Um, and the sort of the trade is, is that you're you're given a platform to build your own brands, and to some become a, a major c- competitor of mine. To be honest, you worried about that? Not really, you know. I mean, like, I I truly believe that some of my interns are more talented than me. I I do believe that. However, I also think that I'm a better businessman and a better marketing than all those <laughs> so guys. You, so you don't tell them about any of that? I don't, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I do tell them all that. And, like, you know, it takes a certain skill and it takes a certain knack to do that. And um, I want that for all my interns. It's you ambition. Know? Like uh, Danny Diamond says, I wasn't born talented. I was born ambitious. There you go. <laughs> well, that, there you that's, go. That's uh, kind of the foundation of what, what he says. Yeah, but my interns are great. and But that's very true. Um, my interns are great. And... Um, and then I work with a, a lot of other creatives in the community. Um, I work with a stylist named Gunnar Dethridge, who's been on Project Runway a couple times, and he styles a lot of my shoots and a lot of my projects. He's also a creative director in town. So he's, uh, I collaborate with Gunnar for most of my projects. And then, um, uh, and then I also work with a great um, style team from hair to makeup, and one of those people is Bethany Hood. Who um, is sitting right here next oh, to you? Oh, just so happens to be sitting <laughs> so. right next to you. Yes. So, so let's, let's can we bring her on? And let's bring her on. Talk to her about. So I've been here the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> She's but actually wait, been taking fireball shots I've with us. Take, I've had three or four fireball shots, just like. But I've also had my phone, so I'm kind of in this weird zone now. Yeah. I think we need another fireball shot. All right. All right. So. Or some water. All right. While, One of those all right no, 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 no water. While I'm pouring a fireball shot. Give me a little bit more about who you are and how you got into this industry and also how you met Clay. Talk to me about the first time you met Clay. The first time? I can't remember. Uh, um, It's that bad? (laughs) No, 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 no. It's that bad? What happened? So I'm a cosmetologist by trade. Um, I went to Paul Mitchell School, Lexington, Kentucky. And so I became licensed as a hairstylist, but decided that I spent so much money thinking that I would love to be in a salon and I got out and I practiced and I was like, this is not for me. This is not going to do it. So I, I taught myself how to do makeup and I how was How did living, you teach yourself how to do it? 
I mean, come on. I mean, we all have faces. We all have. Well, I, I legitimately don't. Know. This <laughs> you is have so a face. foreign to me. We, like, how okay, do I... so this is how I taught myself. I I bought some drugstore products with some colors that I thought that I would really like, and I brought some brushes and I just I I did different things on myself every day. So like you would see a picture and you're like, wow, I really love what this looks like. Let me see how to do it. How do I do it though? So then I would just do it. So I, I taught myself. Um, do you ever take? Do, do you have a whole history of these photos of you like messing up? No. Well, no. maybe like bad, maybe not good makeup. Yeah. So like maybe not photos of myself messing up, but I was learning, right? So I think I think uh, most mess ups or most mistakes are, they're, they're thought of as mistakes instead of like okay, so this is what Building I did. Blocks. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. I, so people, they don't necessarily look at their mistakes and think that. Okay, so this was great because I learned that this is not what you do. So absolutely, I think yeah. you have to make mistakes to really learn. Um, to really learn, I think you really need to make your own mistakes and not yeah. learn from just how other people are doing it. Like I learned really a lot struggle. about what not to do by just doing it. Yeah, yeah. So I actually Clay was the first photographer that I ever worked with. Okay, the first time I ever did makeup. So you guys are coming up together. Yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah. I've been doing this for about four, four or five years. I think this is the fifth year. He was the first person that I ever shot with. The first person that I ever, I was like, whoa, I gotta do, I have to make some, I gotta get some charts. I gotta put some stuff on them. I gotta know what I'm doing. I should have all of my looks figured out. I should know what I'm doing and I should practice them, right? So I, I bought a whole new kit for the shoot and I, I did all these things. And then what happened when we actually showed up, it was like, okay, so we're gonna do this. And it was completely opposite from like, uh, the plans that I had gone with, I was like, okay, cool, great. So that was like the first time that I realized how I'm going to learn is just doing shoots and um, just like doing it live. So, so, so what is Clay, when you come on set, how do you guys collaborate? Like what's step one in terms of, okay, I got a shoot coming up or I got a test shoot or like let's do something together. What is step one in terms of collaborating between you two? Uh, step one is just, I guess, making sure that both of our calendars are free. Like, step, so the, step two then step two right so basic <laughs> that's all it is make sure that you're free step two um i mean we're both very visual i think everybody's visual in this world so uh the, the thing that helps everybody sort of come back to the same idea is a lookbook or some sort of guide or reference so it's pulling inspiration or what's the magazine you guys go to most what's your guys joint favorite magazine w i don't or i don't know w or vogue w or vogue Something like that. I mean, come on, it's like fashion. So W or Vogue, they always kill it. Um, that's been the easiest way for so many creatives. Because, I mean, when you think about your own personal style, you could say something like, I can say, I can have an idea for a beauty look, but it's going to involve something that maybe Clay doesn't like. Um, so having a photo to refer back to is pretty important. That's pretty much what we do. Brown, brown lips. lips. Brown lips. I have what? this thing. They fit on everybody. Brown lips? Brown lips. Like, I actually hate brown lips, so. So what the people why, don't why know. Why do brown lips fit on everyone? I, it's just something. I can't even like picture anyone ever having brown lips. Um, it's more so people would understand if this if, if they were a makeup artist. Is it's it, just less are there harsh. Hit, are there hits of red, or is it just like straight up brown? It just looks really good on everybody's really skin tone. Yeah, it looks do great. Do you have any like in your pocket now that we could put on clay? I have some in my kit. Could we put some on clay? He would love it. <laughs> Let's put some brown lips on clay. I want to. 
I want to too. So I could do it in a way that it would last him all night. And there yeah. Was, he, would yes. have, he would have no other decision but to say, you know what? I really. And mascara. Really. Mascara. Yeah. Mascara. Yeah. Yeah. So that's step two. Step two is just like making sure that everybody, if we're working for a client, they obviously have some sort of idea as far as like their branding goes. So either they want something natural or they want something a little bit more edgy. So, but my idea of natural and edgy could be different than, you know, the photographers or the models or even the clients. So, so when you guys, when you guys disagree, it doesn't matter what what I think. What, what happens? Like, do you guys ever disagree or is it Here's usually... what happens. We fight. <laughs> so you fight. We leave, Take, the, we leave the brown lip. <laughs> Walk me through a, a typical hair... This is, Clay says... Hair and makeup artist and photographer. What color artist. is this lip? And then I have to say, it's not brown. It's not brown. And then I change it in Photoshop. <laughs> exactly. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the makeup artist wants. Um, well, now, who cares what color the lips are? Because that can be changed, right? It's more of... It should not be changed. It should, all right, so it should not be changed. But that's not really the foundation of makeup. That's not the most important no. part. So what is the most imp- important part of makeup? Um, I mean, it should just match the aesthetic, essentially. Okay. I mean, my job as a makeup artist is not to come in and say, I'm really good at this and I think this will look good. It's you are a, a puzzle piece. You're supposed to be something that complements the entire picture, um, not something that... I don't know, you're just not supposed to be boastful. You're supposed to be complimentive. So I don't ever come onto a set thinking, I've got this really great idea. And I'm feeling really inspired for this idea. Yeah. It's more so look at the clothes, look at the background, look at the lighting, look at the model. Um, so you look at all that first? All of it first. Okay. But you look at all of that the entire time. Um, and then you're making changes. Yeah, you make changes, you make adjustments, or you just make decisions. What's the hardest shoot that you've been on with Clay? What's been? The I'll tell you. The I'll tell you the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. The worst <laughs> thing that's ever happened to you. No, it's not that bad. Career-wise, really, or just like all no. at the very top. Listen, my life has been great. Okay. I've never made one bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I. You know how I know that because what? your haircut is fucking awesome. I know. Great. I love it was it. a great decision. Last I, night, I, I was like, you really know what? Awesome. No guard. No guard. I'm gonna go straight yeah. to the head. That's yeah, what she said. So the thing, this was. <laughs> <laughs> Did she? Did she? Twice, probably. <laughs> at least, not at the same time. So there was a time we were doing a model, I think it was a model development or something. He said, you know what? I think I want a red lip. I did this and it was great. And he goes, mm, I think I want it natural. Mm. I just put red lips on this girl. Yeah. And now I got to have it off like she ain't got nothing on her lip ever. <laughs> So, I so, mean, that's it. That's, that is the hardest thing that, I, okay, or. That was the worst thing that ever happened? You had to take off lipstick? You don't know what that feels like. How long does that take? A hot second. A and hot not only, second. not only does it take a hot second, which is at least a minute and a half, but this is what happens afterwards. Sounds wow. like we need to drink this fireball. <laughs> Wait, how did this, this fireball. Is, are you guys, a, who poured these? <laughs> who poured these? How did this. Wait, Cheers. I don't. <laughs> So Someone just came is, in and filled up our listen, fireball without that sounds me like even watching, and now I, now I'm drinking fireball again. All right, all right. So this is this is what else. Take hap- me through the second. This is what most else frustrating happens. Day, no, no, like, no, 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 no. Right, listen, right. this so is what else over. happens. You're working with creams, and powders, and pigments, and shades, and skin, and different skin types. So, when someone puts a red, on on your lip, and you try to wipe that off, you're still going to see something. So not only do I have to go over that with with foundation 
and then powder. But I've got foundation and powder around her entire lip already. Oh, so so it just it infects yeah. the entire integrity. So it's it's just one of those things. It's not something that's not fixable. There's never not a solution. All right. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Bless you. <laughs> this is one of those those one of those things. If you're asking me what is difficult from a makeup artist's point of view, it's changing something that is already a pretty dedicated choice. Red that just lips, takes time and yeah, nobody red wants lips, to waste for that. So that's like someone saying, hey, I want a smoky eye and then I do black all over this girl's face. And she's like, you know what? I was thinking maybe just some eyeliner. Okay, well, that is very specific. So yeah, Eyeliner doesn't come off. You know how I know this? I learned this the hard way. <laughs> Glitter. So we, exactly. It's same we thing. We were on Amanda Diaz's uh, shoot in San Diego and we got to the end of it and she's like, all right, my makeup artist said like she'll paint your whole face, whatever you guys want. You just describe something. So there's five of us there, and we all describe something. And Rob goes, I don't know what he told her, but Rob basically basically said, fuck my shit up. And <laughs> turned me into, like, a gay Nazi. Oh. And then, like, so he has his makeup on, incredible eyeliner. But little does Rob know that he has to give an interview <laughs> immediately after this. So, like, they, we are trying to take his makeup off. Yeah. And his makeup is, most of it's coming off, but the eyeliner, like, like on like the eyeliner itself is not so he does the whole interview with this like intense eyeliner and he looks like he looks like a rebel like emo kid that's just pissed off <laughs> and, and it's the most hilarious so if you guys have look closely if you guys have the tutorial from amanda diaz in rob's interview he has he gary's has, just saying download the amanda <laughs> diaz tutorial yeah that too. just for this scene that too now we'll publish it for free We'll publish it on YouTube. <laughs> you guys can watch it. I'm telling you, that's the one thing that makeup artists think about that I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say that this is a thing, but maybe most people don't, is um, order or timing or the ease of, of uh, going through your process. So some photographers are like, okay, let's do the one that's really easy for our lighting setup. We're going to do this something that's more moody, but maybe this look requires more shadow. And then immediately after, you want something that's natural. And I'm like, wait a second. So you want me to put the product on her face to remove it, to then have the, the quality of her entire skin compromised, to then add more makeup on top of it, just because it was easier to hook up a light. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that there are easier ways and that there yeah. are better ways. So that's where the teamwork comes in. So that's where our process is beneficial. Right. Because we'll talk about um, the looks that we want to do. If we have three looks in a day, and we know that one of them is super committed, heavy shadow, wet hair. She's got, she's, it's a sexy look, if you will. Um, that's going to obviously need to come last because it's going to be the most involved. Her hair's going to be wet. Yeah. Her makeup is going to be dark. We're not going to come back for that. She's going to go home after that, really. Um, so if you don't have a team or you don't have someone that's gone through the process who, or who isn't, um, necessarily experienced in the world, they're not going to know things like that. They're going to say, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'd like to do that. That's great. Like, we're going to get that look done. There's a serious train going by right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Walk every 15 little... minutes, there's a plane. So yeah. Yeah. we're All right, in so, the best spot for this. So what is your advice for, let's say, new photographers that might not have experience hiring a makeup artist? How do they approach one? And um, why would you work with someone that might not have... Um, let's say uh, a body of work like what, what what's appealing to you to work with photographers 
Uh, I mean, the body of work isn't, so the amount, so like the actual body of work is important, but it's not necessarily the judgment factor. So I look at the quality. Um, I'm not going to work with a photographer. I mean, I'm just going to be blunt. I'm yeah. not going to work with a photographer who is not going to do anything for my work unless they're going to pay me, unless yeah. they pay me what my day rate is, yep. which is fair, um, I consider. So... Um, Look at that plane. That thing was like, that's like 100 yards away. Yeah, they're right here. I'm telling Holy you. Holy cow. At night, it's weird. Yeah. It's really weird. There's you know, so last many night, Sean, who's right there on the couch, uh, was saying every 15 minutes, every 15 a, a minutes. huge plane would fly by. I didn't hear, I didn't hear a thing. Like we said, out. Louisville's a hub. Yeah, well, some Louisville. things are happening. Louisville. I feel like he, I feel like, I feel like he st still says Louisville. Louisville? Louisville. Yeah. Louisville. Well, like, I feel like you are saying it more correctly. Than Which is Clay. weird because I haven't even, like, I just moved away and came back. Louisville. Louisville. No, it's the same. That's well, the same. All right. Louisville. Louisville. All right. Okay. Anyway. All right. Um, so the quality of work really matters as far as why you would pick a photographer. But if a photographer was looking for a makeup artist, it has to be the same way. So if, if you're a photographer and you're experienced and you have a, you know, a developed portfolio it's great to give somebody a shot because how do you get experience without working but if someone's not going to you know put up the same effort they're not going to try to get the work right straight out of camera they're not going to do these things it's not worth your time it's not worth anybody's time they need more work they need more practice yeah. especially um, with makeup artists because with a photographer they put up lights and uh, you know they could do a test shoot but really it, they're not spending any money with you guys you open up your kit you're actually, you know, using product. Yeah. That actually costs money. It's a waste of time and money. So do you, do you ever charge money. anything like a kit fee for even good friends? Like, hey, like I'm spending money here, even though we're getting good work. Um, I think that's judgment. I think that's up to everybody's judgment. Like myself, I, this is going to sound pretentious. It's not meant that way. I'm just blessed. And the fact that all of my friends and people that I'm working with are super talented. I don't feel that I'm wasting any product. It's always a mutual sort of, hey, let's get together. Yeah, it's always yep. a mutual thing. Like, hey, I've got this idea. I think that you're the makeup artist for it. And I think that, you know, we have the great, we have the best model. I have this set design. So it's always something that's super beneficial. But if it is something where I do feel like, yeah, I'm going to be spending some money, you know, I'm going to have to replace this, you know, from my kit. What's yeah, the most expensive? Kind of what's the most expensive part of makeup? Like, what do you hate? Um, probably, I mean, probably the foundation, just because everybody needs it. Yeah. And a how good, many different shades of foundation? Are you there? have to have. You have to have a shade for everybody. Because how many different everybody's are there? Uh, there's a there's a bunch. But the thing, the cool thing about it's just like, bunch, um, like there's 12? a bunch. There's a lot. So 12? are there twelve of us? There's okay. So there's way us? way way more than that. 18. It's inf I mean, it's infinite when you think about it because nobody has the same skin tone. Everybody has the same underlying skin tone, which so how is how many just different shades of that foundation do you have in your kit? In I my mean, kit right it, now. It, listen, let me time. explain. I right, have right. seven skin tone shades in my kit, but the beautiful thing about this is you can mix and match, right? You can mix and match. Oh, so, so you you're have like a darker, a you're like Bob Ross. Yeah, making basically your own not foundation. happy trees though. No, there's no happy trees. I don't put happy trees on faces. Only. Never mind. <laughs> So, <laughs> no, so if you have a darker, if you have a darker skin tone, but you have the darkest shade and a lighter shade, you can definitely mix two shades to come up with your ideal skin tone. So there are ways that, and this is what separates the professionals from not, yeah. is, are, are the, the tricks and the tools of the trade you learn along the way. So 
You just, like I've just sanitize learned. Sanitize your brushes. Yes, definitely. That is number one. Numero uno. Numero sanitize. uno. Don't give people pink eye, people. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> I've never had that happen. Good. Never, Look ever. Look at you. Look at you. How we get 100. It's pounded. Yeah. It's pounded. All no right. So, eye. all right. So, outside of Clay Cook, who else, who else are your clients? Who do you work with? What do you, what do, you do on a day-to-day basis? I essentially work with models. I consider myself, or I guess the magazines. I consider myself editorial. That's where I love to be. I do have people who reach out to me for weddings. So they are the everyday girl, the everyday woman. Um, those are... How are they finding you? Instagram, social yeah, Instagram. media, All Facebook, right. word so of you're, mouth. You're doing I the grams. Actually, you're yeah, doing the grams. All right, so how often do you post? Let, um, talk to me about your Instagram formula. <laughs> don't, it's not that great. I mean, I read all these articles, but it still makes no sense to me. I don't ever... Okay, so I break my phone a lot. Like how often? Like a lot. Like it's a lot. twice a week? I've had four this year alone. Okay, that's not bad. Okay. Most people bad. would disagree. I disagree. That's Did you a get lot. any insurance? No. Oh, then that's bad. <laughs> That's for sure bad. I know. Okay, well, what are you gonna learn? Do you not get case? I Look at you. Like you don't even have a case, and you got Look a Samsung. Look at the back of it. Oh no! Is that a case or is that not a case? It's not a case. It That's came not with a like case. a. It came with a glass well, you, case. What do you? You broke the back. That's no big I deal. I fell on it. That's no big deal. You I broke know the it's back fine. Of the it's fine. This one has made it a long time. Yeah, the front isn't even broken. So that, I that doesn't even classify as broken. The back. is I know broke. it's great. Who cares about that? We've made it. Made I've made it so long. Three weeks without breaking this. All right, so let's keep going down this rabbit hole. Why Samsung and not Apple? Fuck well, Apple. Why fuck Apple? I hate Apple. I mean, I mean, the phone, though. Listen, like, Apple doesn't let you swoop text. You know what I'm talking about? What the about? hell's a swoop text? It's when you can drag your fingers across the text, and it just comes up with the word for you. You know what oh, I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. It's the thing that changed my life. Lazy text. Yeah. Laziness texting. Basically. Multitaskers texting. Why don't, why don't you audible the text? Because I like, did that for a little Siri bit. Listen, the phone that I was using uh, kind of shorted out and wouldn't let me type anything. It wouldn't read my fingertips. So I had to talk into it for you, everything that I wanted. It, and that was really... No. No, no the battery was dead. Do you know dead. for sure, though? Positive. I'm still here. You're still here. Yeah. We out here. We out here. We in here. <laughs> so, okay, what were we talking about before? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Insta- well, okay, we so really social media. I, only, I post about one or two times a day or so some people all right and they're all selfies <laughs> you should find me on on the instagram at the I, house of hood it's not all selfies i've house definitely contained hood. myself is it da very well. da house of hood no just t- t-h-e <laughs> it, one the of the, <laughs> <laughs> all right, i was thinking right, about starting clay, a twitter clay, clay do you have an opinion on um should you post all right so i got a legitimate question now that instagram does not have a timeline on when you posted should you post once or twice a day, and how do you know to not do one or the other? Oh, if you want to go into the world of social media, let's go down that rabbit hole, my <laughs> friend. All right, like, come on, bring it on me. Bring it on me. I'm ready to, I'm ready to fucking ask you questions. All right. This is going to be about a seven-hour podcast. All right, once or twice a day. So I tend to post to Instagram. Um, it, vary, it varies, but once a day is a solid number for most social media sites. How do you know? Um, they say so. Who's, who's they? they? Who's they? The who's they? What are you? This is, this what is, are you, DJ Khalid? <laughs> they don't want us to have more Instagram followers. So on social media sites, that is curated content, meaning that is, uh, is very uh, curated. It has this social media algorithm based on the There's amount of There's nothing curated about Instagram. 
Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What's curated about Instagram? Every motherfucker has an Instagram account. No, no. What's I'm saying like the curated that? content. So it's like all right, all right, it, so it's the suggest, algorithm. Suggested. All right. Suggested. The algorithm suggests that the more you like a post or more, more you like someone's Instagram, the more you're going to see it in your newsfeed. So the content has to be quality. The content has to provide value. And unlike something such as Snapchat or Twitter, where you can see all of that at all times. So um, Instagram and Facebook needs to be strategic content that's posted, I would say, once a day. That's quality content, while Twitter and Snapchat provide a little bit more personable insight and can be just whatever you want to post, whenever you want to post. But let's say I create 900 stellar images a year. Why wouldn't I post in the morning and at night? because there are no timeline feeds of like when that came and you don't know exactly when that's being presented to someone. So let's say I just had all the fucking great content out there, right? It was unlimited. How, how do I know how often to post? You don't. And that's what I consider my feed. I consider my feed pure quality, but couldn't, but then there are some people, there are some people who are not doing the same thing and they have thousands of followers. I just don't get it. I don't understand. So I just post as I please. Post as you please. The end. That's all you gotta do. P A U P. I have a much different approach to exactly. social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe all right, I so just gotta no, keep pushing. I, I'm with you. All right, so Clay, I'm with you in terms of all right. Once a day, back when you saw Instagram, like gave you like when they posted that, it was like oh he posted this, you know, that today. But now, like with a global environment that gets up at different times, and they let, let let's think about it this way. How many times a day do you think you get on Instagram? That's crazy. That's a crazy thought for me, social media wise. But <laughs> but, but like, think about it for a second. Like, how many? Oh, it's all day, every day. Yeah. So I mean, all day, as soon as day, I wake up. All day. So all right. So as soon as I go to bed. So on that on that premise, you wake up. Unless I'm busy. Let's all right. So you start your day. Yeah. Start your day. Walk in to the bathroom, sit down on the toilet. <laughs> you open Instagram. And you're like, what's going on, people? So that feed itself is not going to play itself again. Obviously, if you like someone's photograph in the morning, let's assume that you're going to like them at night. You go all day long, you probably checked it 30 times, maybe on a heavy user, 30 times throughout the whole day, because you're never that far away from your phone. So why not at night, let's say you're tucking yourself into bed, and you start and stop your day on that person's Instagram, liking that same photo, but it's a different photo. What, what, why is there too much in one day for I don't that think, person to post twice. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's I don't think that's really there's no like true rules for how you should guide your your strategic marketing social media postings, but um I just said that very long. I could have just said <laughs> your <laughs> your marketing strategy. Yeah. But um um I, you know, I think that um it's all depends on your content at the end of the day. It's like if you're posting content that's going to turn into noise, then you're likely not to get the amount of engagement that you want. But if you're going to provide something that's going to provide value to people and that's quality content, you're going to get twice as much engagement on that. And it just comes down to the content. Cause at the end of the day, I feel like we're content creators over photographers, you know, to a degree. Yep. And so I think, uh, if you want more likes and you want more comments and you want more engagement, but that's not what it should be about. 
but to a lot of people, that's what it is. Um, if you want that and you strive for that, then uh, just you, push more quality content that's has different forms of value to it. Do you play the hashtag game? <laughs> How many hashtags do you put on a photo? I don't. I'm no, actually so anti-hashtag. Anti-hashtag. What about you? I definitely do like one or two. One, one, or, one or two hashtags. But what are they? Do you make them up because it's no, funny? No, they're I, I relevant. They they're definitely got to be relevant. Don't just fucking... Hashtag the house of hood. Da, no. Hashtag makeup. The, <laughs> yeah, because you know how many people hashtag, hashtag makeup? Hashtag on set. No. Hashtag, hashtag set, yes. Hashtag set life. No, I'm not that ridiculous. <laughs> it's yeah. more like, listen... I mean, I mean, who need, there are some people who blow that way out of the water. Just like, yes, yes, yes! Exclamation point. Just like the same thing, but just spelled differently. Just yeah. spelled it in the numerous ways that people would spell shit. Um, I mean, that's essentially do, putting I mean, out if URLs. If I'm going to do a ha- I hate hashtags, but I see that they're beneficial. They get people to your page. They put your page onto other people's feeds, which is great and, you know, easy and everything like that. But, I mean, your hashtags should definitely be relative. Click, so mine click, say the same, like MUA, click, makeup, click beauty. Say, look at him, look at him getting in Self, close to the, selfie. Close to the mic. He's like, I got to say something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so while I'm, I'm very anti-hashtag, I feel kind of the same opinion, like, uh, throwing a couple of hashtags out there is fine, but it gets really overbearing and really overcrowding your context for your content. So like meaning that the caption uh, can really be overcrowded when you throw a bunch of hashtags. However, with that said, I found my London stylist for my workshop by hashtags. So it is a way to search people. What was the hashtag? It was like London stylist. Okay. <laughs> So, so I'm like going, not like 420 all day, every day, what's up, hashtag. It has to be very strategic, very um, organic. Now you should be putting Louisville makeup artist. Louisville stylist or Louisville Louisville beauty. Have you you ever done that? Yeah. You have done that. I mean, Louisville is a small community, so if you're going to You spell it L-U-L-ville? No. I spell it right, the correct way. Maybe you should. So Louisville is spelled the right way, and you spell it. Otherwise, it's not going to come up right, right? Your hashtag is going to be incorrect, (laughs) and nobody's going to find you. And then you just look dumb. Yeah. 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 Nobody's coming to your page. You spelled Louisville wrong. You live here. It just looks dumb. (laughs) So, (laughs) but I mean, Louisville doesn't have, as far as like our community goes, I mean, you've, you've got Louisville art community, Louisville art scene, Louisville models, Louisville beauty, like Louisville fashion. So if you're going to, if you're going to make it specific to where your, your, you know, geology is or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Geography. Or geology. If you go down deep. (laughs) What up? (laughs) All right. Whatever it's specific. Seismography. That is what she said. (laughs) She said that. She said it again. If, it needs, if it's going like, to be that specific, then obviously you know which are the most beneficial. So, I mean, some might have 10 posts. Why would you hashtag that? Like, why, oh. would, you, why would you put a hashtag on a photo? That's why kids are doing things I just don't, th- and that's why they're not being very successful. So that's when hashtags are useful and when they're not. So I, I type, you know, makeup artist, makeup addict, beauty, Insta Beauty, they all have over a million photos. So it's going to put your photo out there, but. So then you could put them in those twice a day because. Twice a day! It is so populated. Yeah. I mean, it brings people to your page, but at the end of the day, if your content isn't consistent or it's not advantageous or quality, then why would people stay? So, I mean, like, hashtags are good to bring people to your page, but you have to be good at what you do, or else why would they follow you? Right. So, Clay, how have you adapted to. 
the uh, Snapchat and Instagram stories? Do you want to kill yourself on trying to populate and create all that media on top of curated content like Instagram? You know what's so fun is that I love social media. I always have. Uh, when I first started in the band, I loved MySpace. I loved the bulletins. I loved doing all that stuff. Back in that day, I was actually on the first social media site ever, Friendster. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of fun that it's progressed in this form. I think the problem with a lot of the social media now is that people realize that it's a business for many people. And so Snapchat and Instagram stories are sort of this way that um, people can engage what you do in, in your everyday life without it feeling curated or, or set up or fake. And I think that a lot of people feel that way with Facebook. They feel that way with Instagram. Uh, they feel that way with a lot of social media sites because it's such content pushing. It's such like, uh, it's such a business to many people. Yeah. So I think that with, how uh, else would you sell skinny bunny tea if it wasn't for Instagram? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so, so I think keys. Snapchat, um, Snapchat and Instagram stories as well as a way that people can interact with others in a real way. That's not really uh, staged or yeah. nothing that's like full really, transparency. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. it's done the right way. Yeah. I mean, if it's done the right way, then you can still put out quality work, but like have people come to your page, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, Snapchat is, is a really raw, organic um, way to connect with people and connect with your friends. And I think people respond to that. Um, you know, there's not, it's more about the content than it is the quality of the content. So, um, you're not trying to get the best photo. You're not trying to get anything like that. For me, Snapchat is almost one of my favorite social media sites now because social media channels, if you will, because it's so raw. Yeah. The pressure's off. I don't have to write this big thing. Um, and I'm just trying to do the most funny thing possible yep. because I think people respond to laughter. People respond to comedic value and, and comedy. And um, so I, I have, I love to have fun with Snapchat and give people insight into my life that uh, they couldn't see on Facebook and Instagram. So what's next for both of you? Uh, walk me through your next week. What do you got going on? <laughs> well, you first. you first. I mean, I have another job. So I definitely have. I've what got else, a couple jobs. Is, how, how do we not know this by now? Huh. Well, I, I, mean, I blame myself. I have a life. So my career is makeup. No, 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 no. What I do is uh, I don't like to have downtime. So I like to always take fireball shots. <laughs> oh, God. Another fireball shot? I can't. I've lost count. Oh, God. Actually. I it's haven't. fine, though. This well, is a we've, Tuesday. We've done, we've done half the bottle. Oh, God. All right. Here we go. Wow. Oh, it tastes just like it smells. Yeah. Delicious. Great. Like <laughs> like a pure wine. All right, so wait. Hold on. So, you what? have a job or you don't I have, have a job? job? What? It's just like pure. Is it a different successful. job? It is a different job. It's a way different job. Way different job. I, I work at this restaurant. It's called Butchertown Grocery. It's local here. It's actually pretty fucking good. It's really good. We, we take... It's, I mean, we take severe pride in, in what we do and what we give to our clients. Um, so all the ingredients are either local or premium, meaning if they are made in a certain part of the world, that's just like, you can't get any better than that. That's where we're going to buy them. 
farm to grocery bag. Exactly. <laughs> but not not exactly. Um, close. Pretty close. So, like, all it's all prime meat. It's all, you know, local, seasonal vegetables. It's pretty... It's, it's just they really... Every menu item is made for its 100% just taste quality. Clay's drinking water out of a he huge needs it. jug right now. He I, needs I it. <laughs> so I work at this place. Um, right, so we've been really blessed. It's, it's one year in, and um, we've had a lot of recognition as far as, like, how quality our menu items are compared to others so, so you gotta I work basically the next week that yeah what me? i mean i'm i'm the guest service manager there so okay. it's more so just me controlling the floor which if you know anything about the restaurant industry there's nothing that you can plan for so i go in on a wednesday at 9 a.m and i don't leave until about 10 or 11 and i do that every day from so like three wednesday, hour shift a, what a three-hour shift. Three it's hours. Three <laughs> hours in the morning, <laughs> and then we separate that with no, three I'm, hours. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm it's kidding. pretty. It's pretty crazy. So on top of that. Um, so hopefully you don't have to work tomorrow morning. I do. Oh God. Yeah, definitely. After We're gonna this, have a party. After this we fireball. We have three or four more bar. Listen, there. Never mind. I'm not gonna say that online, or to anybody else. We're not online. The, We're in person. We right are here We're next in to person. you. I'm right here next to you. What are you the talking thing, about? The thing about this industry is most people do love to drink, and we can definitely function whether or whether or not we are still drunk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we could, still, yeah. we could do things the next day. I, I grew up in the restaurant industry. If we're still yeah, yeah. drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just happens all the time. <laughs> I plan for not, this not to happen. Like, like oh, I'm going to be sober. And then the next day comes, 10 a.m., and I'm like, damn it. Damn it. Damn it. I told myself last night I would not be drunk this morning. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, I have Clay. to do this in the morning. All right, Clay, what, what is next for you? What, walk me through your next week. Are you, are you wrapping down for the holidays? Or what do you got going on? Do you ever sleep? It's been a crazy few months. Um, you know, we just wrapped up this big tutorial for F-Stoppers, and I'm really excited about that. F-Stoppers.com. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's it's been a um, F Stoppers is they're the second biggest photography blog in the world, right? In terms of traffic, so. yeah. right behind Petapixel. Uh, I don't know. Which really is just a reposter. I mean, yeah. Petapixel, I don't, as far as I know, don't create a lot of original content. Yeah. Am I am I correct in saying that? Or am I? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could be wrong, so I, I apologize if not. But no, I you know, like Pet, Petapixel is number one in terms of traffic, but. Mm-hmm. They only repost like the glorified, sensational, uh, best articles of the internet. So like they're the most curated. They're kind of like the Reddit of photography internet. Right. Would Would you put it that way? Yeah. So I, and we actually met on F Stoppers. We were both writers for F Stoppers. So much respect for F Stoppers. That's for, right. Uh, you know, and, and that's one thing that was like, oh man, um, F Stoppers wants to do a tutorial with me, and they got in the tutorial game, and. Um, you know, I've met some of the most awesome people through F-Stoppers. Met you, Gary, through F-Stoppers. Yeah, me too, met man. A lot of uh, great people, and um, it's how I learned, honestly, too. When I first got into photography, the only thing that I was really referencing at the end of the day was, like, I didn't have mentors, or I didn't have... Um, I assisted a couple other photographers, but I really didn't have anybody that was, like, sig- significant to, um, to really fall back on. So F-Stoppers was a way to learn and to learn new techniques based on 
what other people around the world were doing. And so it was a great resource for me when I first got into photography. F-Stoppers was everything. Um, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think F-Stoppers is a pretty solid source of good, solid, strong information. And so, uh, yeah, we wrapped up this tutorial. We've been working on it for the past couple of months. And it's going to be an awesome, awesome tutorial I'm really excited about. And then uh, going forward, I've got a couple of big jobs in the work works for next year as far as international projects, um, some more nonprofit work um, that might involve some more NFL stuff, um, some more ESPN stuff. We'll see about that. And then beyond that, I'm going to continue what we're doing for editorial. Don't forget the Kentucky Derby stuff. I've got Kentucky I, uh, Derby. I'm actually expecting an yeah. invite for the Kentucky Derby. When, when is it? Oh, my God. I feel like I've never really okay. been invited. Okay. That's the only reason okay. I haven't been. So, so Gary. So how, how do I get an invite I'm, I'm right going to tell you right now. We've got this little plan. All right. What is you, the plan? The plan? I want to be there. We've got a little plan. So I've invited Chris Fain, John yeah. Pittman. John oh, yeah. David Pittman and Dixie the sh- Dixon. The shootout, half, two, two-thirds of the shootout crew. Yeah, and Dixie Dixon and Dixie to Dixon. get one giant box at Derby and have the best time of our lives. How many people can you fit in a box? Can you go Six. You Six. How do we get, how do we, like, make a big box and, like, put 12 in it? We just get two boxes. <laughs> the, <laughs> side by be side. Next, side by side. Yeah, yeah we could, we could yeah. maybe work this out. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do we'll it. talk. Yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll, I know where you live. I've never been. No, I don't. I don't do horse racing I'm from Missouri. Kentucky you, Derby you is. Take us for out there. Actually, I, no. I it's the, on one a, of the greatest times of your entire life. It's a it's a bucket list thing for many people. Walk me through your outfit. Like what? At what point do you start preparing your outfit for the Kentucky? Well, Derby? my outfit usually consists oh, wow. of black on black on black. Wait, wait, I, whoa, whoa, whoa! I thought the Kentucky Derby was like super bright colors and. It is. Bow ties and but You're you still a professional. So and you, we wear all black. You protest. <laughs> you are you protesting the Kentucky Derby by no. being all black? Honestly, honestly, if I had someone to style me, like if I had Gunner to come on and style me. So if you wanted styling, we could hire Gunner to style us all. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yes. maybe we're calling out Gunner Deathridge right now to style us yeah, all. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. I don't want to look like. I mean, I dress in all black you all the time. You would be wearing black. I literally. Maybe. I'm all, yeah, I'm, all, cool I'm in all black all the time. That's all people care about. I'm in an awkward stage in my hair because I'm growing it out. So like, I'm only wearing I'm only wearing hats. Me too. I'm, gro- I'm not wearing hats. I'm, I'm growing it out. Look, the sides like, bare. I, I shave the sides, but it's bare. all along on top. <laughs> I, I'm going I'm going towards what you're doing. People will react. I you know you what? Definitely when get the when I came in, I was like, yes, that's what. Yeah, I spirit animal. And I wish I was like all black. It too. feels great, like velvet. It does feel like velvet. Sometimes I just touch it. That's what I she bet. Said. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fourth time you've said that in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, it's pretty like good. It. <laughs> it's a talent. All right, so once, Derby. A, once again, tell me where we can find both of you online. We're gonna wrap this podcast up. This might be one of our longest podcasts ever. No doubt. Da- well, I don't utilize social media that much, but you can find me at thehouseofhood.org because .com was taken. D a hood dot No t h e house of hood of hood. O-V-O-V-O-O-F. <laughs> Shout out to Drake. I wish, not really. So it's the house of hood at <laughs> uh, gmail.com. That would be my email. And then the house of hood at Instagram or Facebook. Um, but dot org on the interweb. Wait, dot org? How'd dot you get org. a dot org? It was because the dot com was taken to this Isn't like dot really... Don't you have to like provide documentation? I provide lots of services. It's an wait, organization. Whoa, 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 hold on. Don't you provide... Don't you have to provide exactly. some sort nope, of documentation? I, hey, I paid for it. For .org? Yep. 
So you're a nonprofit. No, no. But yet you're dot, dot org. No, they let me buy it. They let me. They let me do it. All right, well, how about you, Sad Burns? <laughs> Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. What's, wait, hold on. What's Snapchat, Twitter? Snapchat and Twitter. <laughs> Right. Snapchat and Twitter Snapchat and, and Twitter. Instagram and Facebook at Clay Cook Photo across the board uh, with all my usernames. And then you can find me, uh, find my portfolio, claycookphoto.com. And then, of course, you can email me, info at claycookphotography.com. I welcome all emails and I'll respond to all of them. Awesome. Thank you both for coming on the EDU podcast. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been an awesome time drinking a half a bottle of Fireball whiskey, um, to <laughs> say the least, in Louisville. How, how am I saying it now? L- Louisville. 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 The most Lovell. disappointing is that we didn't make it through the entire bottle. Oh, That's actually God. really a goal it's for us. seriously 4 Whenever we open a bottle, we plan to finish it's the bottle. It's 4.42 p.m. I know. All right. All right. And that's fine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the EDU podcast. You can find more information. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into my announcer voice right now. You can find more information about us at rdgedu.com across Thanks. the web. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Clay. Thanks, Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it. Cheers, Bye. Well, that's all she wrote for this one. Thanks for listening. Now get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. How do you raise your game and make your mark? Stop taking pictures making images, and with that, you set the world on fire. RGGEDU, my dad said I could. Should we do some shots? No, no not yet. Oh. Calm down, pump the brakes there, Clay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>